Welcome to episode 37 of Super States, Practices of Transformation, with me, your host, Joshua Peters. Super States explores the connection between trans states and personal or professional development. In every episode, we talk to world-class experts, to industry leaders, and revolutionary thinkers who share with us the latest information, tools along with their own personal stories that are there to help inspire us on our journeys. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast to your favorite podcast host, or you can subscribe on YouTube if you like to watch, and you can stay up to date with new episodes that way. If you enjoy this show, please give me a five-star review. That's the best way to help the show grow. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Amanda Monk. Amanda is a transformational coach specializing in sex and intimacy. She helps you heal shame and guilt and understand your own erotic blueprint. What is an erotic blueprint? Amanda is about to share it all in Exploring Erotic Freedom with Amanda Monk. Welcome to Super States. I'm here with Amanda Monk. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Uh, Amanda, just to get started, share with us uh, what you do and, and how that makes an impact on people's lives. Um, thank you. That's a big question. I am a, a transformational coach and I specialize in sex and intimacy and helping people move past really deep programs of shame, guilt, limitations, and pretty much anything that limits their sense of belief or sense of self. That sounds like pretty important work, Amanda. Thank you. I am I finally had a place in in life and career where I absolutely love the work I do and the clients I get to work with. And it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's that's important. Uh, well, tell us uh, tell us your story. How did you get to this point? Um, probably like many people, I got to this point through going through the work myself. So um, I spent about 22 years in corporate America climbing the corporate ladder, um, doing the things that I was kind of raised to believe or programmed to believe I was supposed to be doing. Um, even then doing it somewhat unconventionally, but um, I was doing a lot of work as a consultant in organizational development and leadership development for really big companies, um, really wanted to help um, organizations come from a heart-centered place. I just, I didn't know it at that time. I didn't know that was the work I was doing or attempting to do. And when I realized that that was not the environment that I could do that work and thrive, I made a major change in my life. I um, resigned from my job <laughs> that I'd worked so hard to work up to and kind of reset my life. I moved from Seattle, Washington to a little town in Wyoming where my family um, lived and I had never lived here. I still live in Wyoming and, you know, reset financially, um, changed my career pretty significantly and eventually got to the point after about two years where I became a, a um, solopreneur and left the, what I call the muggle, the muggle job, the muggle work. And, um, it was during that time, that two years of between leaving corporate and going out on my own with my business that 
I, I, I really started working with um, coaches. I was at the time had a therapist and two coaches doing very different um, types of healing, but all the same, you know, I, I tend to kind of go all in on things when I do go for it. So I was working on healing things in at the time, my relationship and really figuring out, um, you know, what, what I wanted my life to be like. And I went through a, um, a program called the spiral, which I eventually became certified in a couple of years later. Um, that was a really deep process of transformation, um, very deliberately and methodically going through, um, all the old programs, all the limiting beliefs, all of the, um, emotions that were running on autopilot internally. And as after I had completed that work, I realized what was left that I still hadn't um, gone deep enough into was my sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I started a healing path there and um, went through something called the erotic blueprint breakthrough. And I love a framework. Um, I think it is maybe my corporate background that um, I like having something, some structure and when there is a structure or framework in place, it allows me to go completely into kind of surrendering to the process. And so I went through that program with a coach as well. And so about a year and a half after that, I felt like, honestly, I was, I probably wouldn't have recognized myself from before. So that was really the kind of the tunnel that we call, like once you're in it, you can't, the only way out is through. And so I went through (laughs) Um, a lot of healing, a lot of recognition, a lot of ownership of how I've been showing up in my life and um, loved it so much. I was already doing some coaching work, but was really more on the like business coaching, leadership coaching side of things and realized, uh, no, I want to help people go through what I just did. And so that's what I've been doing since. And so that was, um, I got my certification and training done in the spiral in 2020. And then in 2021, I spent a year going through the training with the erotic blueprint. Um, the company is actually called the blueprint breakthrough. Um, and so now here I am as a coach, I'm a certified erotic blueprint coach. I have a handful of certifications, um, a lot of NLP, a lot of spiritual technologies, anything that I feel like I can utilize to help um, my clients and myself as well um, move from a state of any kind of stuckness, um, any any state of suffering into a state of freedom. Mm, I love that. I think that uh, we often are starting exactly the way that you just described where we're trying to help ourselves and end up taking that those things that we've learned and wanting to share them with more people. I agree. I just can't imagine taking somebody through some kind of journey if I hadn't gone through it myself first. Yeah. And so it was really important for me when I was realizing what I wanted to do, how I want to impact the world that it wasn't, that it was something that I was willing to take the medicine first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you describe to us what the process of the spiral is for people? Yeah, absolutely. So the spiral is um, a modality that was um, originated actually out of Australia from um, a man named Dame Thomas. And it is based on spiral dynamics 
and David Hawkins' Scale of Consciousness. It combines um, essentially kinesiology through body testing, neurolinguistic programming, um, EFT, and we systematically go through the uh, 22 most common human emotions or emotions that you can find on David Hawkins' scale of consciousness that are essentially measured. <laughs> he has measurements for them, in which is amazing to me that we can actually put um, something tangible and measure, measurable, if you will, around something that feels as etheric as an emotion. Yeah. Um, and so the spiral is a process um, where... Um, as a practitioner, I'm guiding my clients through a what we call an emotional resonance clearing through each of the 22 emotions, starting at the bottom of the scale of consciousness where it is the most dense. So shame is that first um, emotion that we clear, which is resonates at 20 hertz. And we move up the scale of consciousness until we get all the way up to enlightenment, which resonates around a thousand. So it is a process that usually takes me about um, about six months, sometimes longer to take somebody through that process. It can be done in as little as like seven weeks, really. Um, I go really deep in the work I do with my clients. Um, I really focus on, on integration. And so, um, I like to go through the process and, uh, with each clear, there's, there's some kind of homework or home play for someone to do to really understand what's shifting in them and, you know, we can change, we can do emotional clearing work, we can do NLP, we can plant seeds for people. Um, but really what matters is the decisions we make and the behaviors we choose um, when the next opportunity for that emotion to be kind of pinged, if you will, or triggered. Some people mm -hmm. like to use that word triggered. So um, really helping us to have, ex really helping clients to have the experience of, okay, I've, I've cleared dogma. Cool. Um, now what? And so giving, giving an opportunity, get, creating some kind of um, experience where then that client gets to have a little taste of dogma again and make a new choice and really reinforce those new neural pathways that we just work so hard to create. All of that is vital really to having that change kind of stick, right? Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's just something we did once. That one time I went through that process with a coach. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and then explain uh, the erotic blueprint, if you would. Yes, my pleasure. Um, so the erotic blueprints is, I think one of the most common comparisons is if you've heard of the five love languages, mm -hmm. this is um, similar to that because it's a framework, um, but it's spicier. So it's, it's much more sexual in nature. And so there are five blueprint types, and this was all created by um, an amazing woman named Jaya. Um, by the way, she's releasing a book tomorrow called uh, Blueprint for Your Pleasure, which is awesome. Mm. So excited about that. So I trained um, with Jaya and her team um, to get my certification. The five blueprint types are energetic, sensual, sexual, kinky, and shapeshifter. Okay. And so the concept here is that you likely have more of a net, like natural um preference or place in one of those five. You might be a little bit of all of them. Um, most people have a little bit of all of them. Each one has, if you will, like a superpower and a shadow to it. And um, you, of course, can be more than one. In fact, Shapeshifter is the combination of all four 
So shapeshifter, which is what my, my type is. I'm very high energetic, but I'm a shapeshifter. So I actually like all of them. I feel comfortable in all of them and I kind of want all of them. So, um, that's kind of the, the basis of what erotic blueprint is about in a nutshell. Um, of course it's much more than that. So going through the erotic blueprint course, when I did, as I mentioned in 2019, um, you know, we go through and you actually learn a lot about yourself and your preferences, um, your desires, what pleasure is for you, what arouses you, the difference between arousal in the body versus arousal in the mind. Um, the body doesn't lie about arousal, um, but the mind can hide things or not feel okay with what's arousing. Mm -hmm. Um, so we go through a process of learning what's yours, you know, what, what's your blueprint and what obstacles are there to your blueprints and what challenges are there and how do we make those pathways forward? Um, you learn how to feed your blueprint, which was my favorite. Um, learning how, especially as somebody who's been single for a while, um, learning how to feed my blueprint probably changed my life the most um, because now I don't show up to any kind of, uh, even dating. I don't show up to dating starving. I'm not so starved for pleasure in my life that I'm going to lower my standards just to get close to somebody or to, to feel a connection. So learning to feed your blueprint, learning how to speak in the blueprints, um, which can be a game changer for couples, especially um, when you can learn how to speak in your partner's blueprint, even it, because theirs is not like the same as yours. So learning how to speak in the blueprints, doing some healing work in them, um, learning how to expand so another thing that's a game changer for, for partners is when you have, which is really common, um, blueprints that are very different from each other. Like one might be an energetic, one might be a sexual, and those are vastly different. And it's like, well, gosh, we're incompatible. You know, we just don't like the same things, which is you're not incompatible. There needs to be willingness to learn how to meet each other and each other's blueprints. But if a sexual can learn how to speak in some of the energetic terms to their partner who's energetic, then that partner is going to be in their turn on and vice versa. If an energetic can learn some comfort and safety in speaking in a sexual way to their sexual partner, it that's the bridge. It's, it's incredible. So expanding into the blueprints. And then of course, now how do we keep this going forever? How do we have hot sex for life? So that's a kind of an outline of what the erotic blueprint um, kind of program or system is. Okay. And um, so that's what I went through myself in 2019. It's what I've become certified in. And actually now I consult for the blueprint organization and I'm the manager of their private online community called Erotic Freedom Club. So I get to play in this all day, every day <laughs> with a community of right right now it's about 5,000 members. And so, yeah, to say that I love my day job is an understatement. I have a lot of fun. Quite a journey from living in corporate to running the Erotic Freedom Club <laughs> it membership is, site. <laughs> oh, man. If somebody would have told me that this is be what I do, I I would never, ever have believed it. I mean, I was very corporate. Um, yeah, have I mean, I've run tech teams. I've been a director in the technology risk office of a healthcare company, right? And so the idea of now saying like, oh yeah, I'm the I'm the lead mistress of Erotic Freedom Club, just phew, never my mind would have been blown. Yeah. So as you were describing the blueprint. 
it made me think of, and obviously this is kind of similar, it made me think of the love languages, right? Mm -hmm. And how so often, uh, this is my own experience. So my wife and I have very different love languages. And yes. early on in our relationship, I would, and this is what I, this is how I thought you were supposed to do. You would, you do something that you want, uh, you speak in a way that you want somebody to speak back to you. So I would share love with her the way that I wanted mm -hmm. her to share love with me and right. it would fall flat and she didn't understand. And it was the same way when she was doing that with me. So we were basically speaking our own love, love language to each other and it, and then it wasn't neither one of us could feel it because we weren't right. speaking the same language and yes. is that the kind of thing that can happen in Absolutely. You nailed it. Absolutely. I mean it's the same but different, right? So one of the ways we demonstrate care for somebody is is you know in those five love languages like acts of service and it can be romantic care or or otherwise. Um when it comes to getting into sexual encounters, you know, when you're in a different level of vulnerability and um different mental state, it's it's really similar to that. So um, so for example, maybe what, something that might illustrate it really well, I'll talk about the superpowers of the energetic, because I think the energetic blueprint can be the most mysterious to people. Mm. So the energetic blueprint is somebody that can experience states of pleasure. In fact, really heightened states of pleasure without even touch. And there are other blueprints that can do that as well. Like psychological kink is another example of that. But an energetic can be in a light energetic or in a dark energetic state. And the superpower, another superpower of energetics is something called an energetic orgasm, which super hot, so fun, um, and also very mysterious. And um, so energetic orgasm is experienced in you know bodies differently. Um, energetic orgasms, I'll speak for myself. Um, energetic orgasms for me are like really intense waves of pleasure moving through my body. They don't necessarily have to come from any kind of physical stimulation. Um, this is really common in tantric practices as well. So a lot of people that are, uh, hoping to experience energetic orgasms or wanting energetic sex will turn to tantric practices for that. Um, energetics can be really easily, uh, kind of short circuited. And so in the example, that's one of the, one of the shadows. So an energetic might, um, have a hard time. Another thing is holding eye contact with someone. If they're a light energetic can just feel too intense and too direct where a dark energetic might actually really love, um, eye contact particularly when there's also space. So from across the room, somebody locking eyes and holding that, that can be a major turn on or create arousal for an energetic, a dark energetic. So um, let's use the example of a sexual and an energetic as a combo. So one partner sexual, the sexual is what we typically think of as like what a man should be. And I hate saying things like that, but it's a lot of what our society and, and for example, porn has dictated that this is how a man should experience arousal. So naked bodies, um, genitals, direct touch, um, superpowers of sexuals is they can usually get become aroused really quickly um, or really easily. And they're really good with direct 
communication or direct asking for what they want. And sex can be really simple for a sexual because they're like, yeah, the goal is orgasm. Let's get to it. Where an energetic might be like, oh, wow, that's way too quick. That's way too fast. Like we need to slow it down. I need a little space. Um, an energetic often wants the longing. So start telling me the things you might want to do to me hours before you're even going to get to touch me and create that like buildup of energy and longing. So a sexual and an energetic oftentimes can find it difficult to find the center, right? The meeting space. Cause the sexual is like, what's a big, or what's a big deal? Like, why do we have to create this big event just to have sex. Like, can we just have quickie, you know, an energetics, just like that doesn't work for me, for me to get into my arousal. I have to have this sense of like expansiveness and connection and longing. And so that can be really challenging. So learning how to speak in each other's language or even learning what turns the other person on, like one of the bridges to that is a sexual is usually turned on by their partner's turn on. Mm. And so if the energetic can become comfortable and practiced and really good at sharing when they're turned on. And what you just did was a big turn on for me. And now I'm aroused. That's going to create arousal for the sexual, right? And then the sexual has to learn some patience and how to learn to actually find pleasure in the, I can't have it right now. And that being recognized by the energetic creates that safety and creates additional longing. Like, mm. oh, they want to want me for who I am. Yeah, And so you start to build these skills and you start to move closer to one another. And um, I mean, I think one of the biggest things that, that was harmful for me um, in my 30s when I was struggling in a relationship that, I mean, one of the biggest reasons I did the work that I've done is because I was in a marriage that was sexless for a number of years. And that was devastating for me. I'm a very sexual person. And so um, if I had known then what I know now, it might be a very different outcome but we were definitely not speaking each other's languages. That partner was approaching me, assuming I wanted sensual touch. Sensual touch doesn't work at all for me, <laughs> only for aftercare. I didn't know that about myself. I also didn't have the confidence or courage to ask for what I wanted either. That high energetic in me is terrified to speak out loud those things because then I might get exactly what I've asked for in that exact moment and I need space before I can actually have the touch. So I just want to ask for it first. Can we have a minute? Um, anyway, so I hope that helps illustrate a little bit. I'd love, I'd love to know like what questions you have about energetic or what I'm in it so often. I forget sometimes what the average person might be like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Well, I've, so I don't believe that I've experienced an energetic orgasm like you are talking about. Um, I have experienced energetic connection before, mm -hmm. and uh, I guess energetic kind of turn on, just with uh, without touch. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm pretty interested in learning some techniques on how to, uh, I guess how to how to find that energetic mm -hmm. yeah. type of experience. Like, what would you? What would you t say to someone who's curious about it wants to wants to kind of try this themselves? How how would you go about learning how to increase your energetic abilities? Great question. Um, well, let's do a little mini exercise together. Okay. So we're just going to touch our arm. So 
If you can get a little exposed skin on your arm and do this with me. Okay. So what I want you to do first is just take a deep breath. Just close your eyes, take a deep breath. So you can feel yourself present in your body because we're very in our heads right now. And then you're going to take your other hand and you're going to put it way up above and you can open your eyes if you need to, to kind of watch. And you're just going to hold it up here and you're going to very slowly start to close the space. And when you can sense your hand about to touch your arm, stop. Okay. And now you can kind of move that around and kind of start to play with that taffy in the air or that sensation. Sometimes it feels like a magnet. And for some people, they have to get a little closer. So if you want, you can come even closer. I can for feel some kind people, of a, I can feel a heat. Oh, a, yeah. A, 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 I can feel it, it from about here. Yeah, I've played with this a lot. So for me, I can feel it about up here. But this was something that I practiced. I've practiced with this for years. Okay, so when you get it where you're like, ooh, I can really sense it there. I can really start to feel it. You can even push a little closer just to feel the pressure that starts to happen. Like you almost notice now that you have the awareness of the energy between your arm and your hand, you can actually start to play with it, generate more heat, see what your body does when you pull it away. Does it want it to come back? You're like, ooh, no, I liked it. Go back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then for some people, they have to get to where they're just touching the hairs, right? Not everybody's going to have a really clear sense of their energetic space. I think, and probably your listeners, if they're into your content, probably have, you know, some understanding of the concepts of like our, our aura or our energy mm-hmm. self, our energy body. What we're doing is we're playing in the energy body. Sure. Right now, when you do this with a partner, you can start with a partner's hand. It's where you can start to play with that energy between the two. You can do a touch over their body, but not fully touch them. For sexual, can feel really frustrating. They're like, just touch me. (laughs) (laughs) For an energetic, they might like start leaning in, the arch their body towards your hand, or you might start to notice arousal in their body. They're like breathing a little different. They have goosebumps they're getting pleasure out of the experience. And there's a few things happening there. They're sensing, they literally have a sense of that touch, but it's not to the skin yet. Yeah. And there's also what's happening in the mind too, which is like the longing, the space, the pause that's there. And it's playing with that concept as well that can create the arousal or even expand it. And then when you start combining this with whatever that person's maybe secondary blueprint is, can be even more that does when you can really get into the fire. It's when you can really make things hot. Mm. So if you have somebody that isn't energetic and kinky at the same time, then you can play with things like blindfolding them for this process, restraining them for this process. If they like those types of kink, I mean, kink is so vast, right? It could be anything, sure. right? It could be, um, I've had a, one of the things that I've experienced, um, is laying crystals on different parts of the body. Mm-hmm. And then having energetic touch over those crystals and seeing how the touch felt different when my partner's hand was hovering over that part of the body with the crystal on it mm-hmm. and just playing and becoming super curious. So I often encourage, and oftentimes when I'm working with couples, I'm giving them sex labs as homework. And mm-hmm. so a sex lab could be playing with energetic is get with your partner, 
Um, you can sit across from them or you can have a partner actually laying down and then the other one standing next to or hovering next to. But sometimes it can be really fun to have your partner actually sitting with you in more of a tantric pose. So your legs with their legs over you, your heart centers are aligned and just start playing with touch without touching and starting to see how quickly do I sense the energy? What if we sync our breathing together? And now I'm getting into more tantric practices, but these things all overlap. Yeah. So really starting to play with that. So for somebody that's like, wow, I'm really curious about this. I want to learn. First, it's learning how to feel it in your own body. And when you start to play with it and feel it in your own body, bring your partner in. If you want to jump right in with your partner, if you have that level of um, you know intimacy with your partner and you're ready to just jump in, sure, go ahead. See what, play with it. Get curious. See what happens. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to be like, okay, enough energetic. Now I want direct touch. Let's, let's go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can also play with this clothed versus not clothed. Sure. And so for somebody that's like really just wanting to experiment with this from a mental place and be like, oh, I just want to learn it. You can play with it with clothing on. You can play with it in, you know, consensual, but even non-romantic ways. Um, and then another way to play with energetic is starting to see if you can sense a person from across the room. So when you're with your partner, there are times, especially for partners that are deeply connected, you don't even see them or hear them, but you can sense your partner in the room before you, before your other five senses wake up to them being there. And so when you start to really generate more awareness of your own awareness, if you will, that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We all have this, these abilities, but we don't all exercise them. And so when you start to play with that and play with sensing your partner from across the room, seeing how close you have to be to actually feel each other's energy and and the environment can play into this, of course, as well. But playing with that. And it's a lot of fun to play with with clothes on. It's a lot of fun to play with with clothes off. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, so then I have another question around around the shapeshifter. Yes. So I took the test, the erotic blueprint test. The quiz. I love it. And it said I was a shapeshifter. Okay. What are my superpowers and what is my shadow? Oh, I love it. Um, So one of your superpowers is your capacity for pleasure is endless. It's huge. You can experience pleasure in all of the blueprints. And you might even want more than one at a time. Um, shapeshifters can meet their partners in any blueprint because you have capacity for any of them. You have ability for any of them and desire in any of them. So you can receive, you can get aroused in any of the blueprints. That means no matter what your partner is, you can mat, you can find them there. That's also one of the shadows though, is shapeshifters will often find the primary blueprint of their partner, and then they'll just stay in that. And then they end up hungry for the other blueprints that aren't getting fed. Mm. So um, another shadow of the shapeshifter is, I think also what's one of the superpowers is um, usually a shapeshifter will have a sense or have had times when they're told they're too much. You want too much, right? I would get confused with past partners because they would tell me like, God, you're hard to please. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've had three orgasms. I'm the easiest to please there is. Like, but I can keep going. I can keep going. I can have five more. Like, we don't have to stop. 
Um, but we can. And so it's really the, one of the shadows is that like, oh, I'm too much. I want too much. I have to narrow down my pleasure or my desire or my just ability to experience pleasure because they can't, other people can't handle it. And so, or another different version of that is, um, if a shapeshifter, which is the one that needs the most feeding, if a shapeshifter becomes starving, it can really impact them at the, at their core, um, because they do have a, a really big capacity. Um, it means it's kind of like with great power comes great responsibility. Mm. <laughs> so learning how to really care for yourself and not put all of that on your partner or partners. So being really clear that my pleasure is my responsibility is particularly important for a shapeshifter because um, if we put all of that amazingness in the hands of another person to feed, that that's too much to put on anyone. And I think that goes for any of the blueprints, but in particular for a shapeshifter, right? To meet another person and be like, okay, so you need to become an expert in sexual, sensual, kinky, and energetic, please, so that you can meet me where I'm at. Uh-huh. It would be a lot. The other thing I want to say about the the quiz, which I love the quiz, what we're talking about is there's an erotic blueprint quiz that you can take. Um, and that's actually something I can share with folks. Um, yeah, we'll put a link quiz, to it in the show notes. Perfect. The quiz is something you take with your mind. And your mind has programs. It has things you were taught that are okay or not okay. Things that you might have some shame around or, or have some fear around or things that you are taught you are supposed to be. So very often, especially in US culture, women are programmed that they are supposed to be sensual and men are supposed to be sexual, right? And just in, that's all not real, that's bullshit. However, it is what we are kind of advertised to um, right. And I could go, I could have a whole podcast episode just about that. We won't. Um, <laughs> so it's really important to start to pay attention to what, um, as you're taking the quiz and you get your results and you're like, what did it say I am? And if it doesn't quite feel like you're like, mm, okay, like some of this resonates, but I don't know, there might be truth to that. Like one of the reasons why it's so great to go deeper into the work, into the, into the program is because you can go through something called a body test. The body test, or we call it AB testing is more, it's a lab. It's a sex lab. It's a lab about your body and your arousal. Mm -hmm. So there's a show that came out in 2021 on Netflix called sex, love and goop. And, um, my mentors, uh, Jaya and Ian are actually featured as, um, Jaya is one of the sex experts in that, in that, in that, um, show and in episode, I believe it's episode two, the couple that she's working with, she actually takes them through, um, an extensive AB test and we call it AB because it's like, okay, is touch a, you give a touch or a touch B, which one, like on a scale of one to five touch a, how arousing was that? And then did you like, or it might be, did you like touch A or B better? Which one was more arousing for you? Mm. And so it's a process of getting out of the head and letting the body actually reveal yeah. what's what. Because you might have taken, especially for people who have a lot of religious dogma um, or have had a lot of um, challenges in their sex life or some kind of deep sexual trauma, um, what shows up in the mind as what the answers to the questions are might actually be very different in the body. 
And so that's kind of like the second layer to that. So when I took the quiz the very, very first time, um, my quiz results came out as kinky and I had zero sensual. And um, through the process of going through the program I did with the coach and then going through the year of training I did and, and the work I do now, I know not only have I expanded my blueprints quite a bit, but my results are vastly different now. I had been matching my previous partner. And so I thought what I liked was what my partner liked. Yeah. Because I didn't dislike it. I did like it. But there was so much more available to me. And I had a lot of dogma and resistance around what sensual meant. Because in my experience, sensual was like Barry Manilow, put candles on. I'm like, that doesn't do anything for me. And if you come at me and start like touching me really slow, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't turn me on. It's lovely, but that's not arousal for me. And so it was through the process of going through this work and um, kind of like unraveling those beliefs and what I thought they meant, what they were mentally for me versus what was in my body that I've come to find, oh, I am a shapeshifter that has the same at just as high a score in energetic. And so... I don't have to be energetic to be in arousal. I can be in arousal in any of them, but energetics more consistently going to work for me. Mm. I call it the gate to my sexy garden. Like if you <laughs> want to come and play with me, we're going to start with energetic, even if for a moment, and that's going to open the gate. And then from there, it's like, it's a whole carnival. Like all the blueprints are there, all the rides are there. And, um, and then at the end, when we're done, that's really when I crave the sensual the most mm. is after the heightened part of the experience, whether that's an orgasm or some kind of climax. Then at the end, I'm like, now I want cuddles. Now I want soft touch. Now I want silky fabrics, but I, that's not going to actually get me to arousal in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And sounds like it was a quite a process for you to kind of uncover that for yourself and it was a process. Um, some of it came in pretty quickly. Some of it was like, oh, duh. Like I've shown up this way my whole life. I just didn't put two and two together. And some of it was a process of doing some healing work and, um, you know, internally understanding where I came to a conclusion about something, either about myself or honestly, some of it for me, sensual is incredibly vulnerable. And so for me to get into that sensual space, I've found that I have to have a lot of trust with somebody. And so when somebody wants to start with sensual as their way to turn me on, what's actually happening for me is it's bringing up um, because of some past experiences for me on it, that that touch is unsafe. Sure. And so it was really, un and I didn't understand that out the gate. It took me quite a bit. So once I understood that, I was like, oh, so that's why I still enjoy it. That's why I still appreciate and value it. But it doesn't work for me in the beginning. Instead, space does. Longing, the I do great, um, for example, a great example I think of energetics is they can be really good at sexting and long distance relationships because it is a way that that space is naturally created. Mm. And that concept of creating like continuous longing builds all of that sexual tension up, all of that energy up. Yeah. Can be really fun for an energetic. Mm. This is just a really fascinating conversation. Um, something that you said really resonated with me, and that's that idea of safety. Mm. Uh, so, 
I found this again, kind of as I'll talk about my own experience. So as, as we've had our, we're seven years into our marriage now and, and early on, I don't think either one of us really felt safe in uh, intimate relations, even though, you know, we were inherently safe, but I, like there was shit from my past and, and, right. and shit from her past and, and we didn't connect. It's only as we both were able to feel accepted and mm -hmm. safe and like no matter what happened, it didn't matter. That's, that's when uh, things have really opened up in, in our own connection. Um, so that, that idea of safety is, to me, that's vital. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's something that's really misunderstood. Um, I've had conversations, um, with, uh, people that I've dated. I often use myself as an example, just like you just did. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, to illustrate things. So, um, ironically, one of my past partners is former military. He's a police officer. He exudes safety. Like he walks in the room and everybody calms down. <laughs> and <laughs> like that's his person. That's who he is as a person. It's how he shows up in the world. And we were having a conversation about safety. And he was like, I just can't fathom how you could ever feel unsafe. You know, I would never hurt you. And I said, it's not physical safety that ever crosses my mind with you. It's emotional safety. Yeah. If I let loose and something comes up and I need to feel cared for or reassured in the moment, are you going to meet me there? Are you going to be emotionally present enough to notice that I need that? Am I going to feel safe enough to ask you for it in the moment and risk that level of that depth of possible rejection or just not being seen? That's sometimes what safety is, right? And yeah. of course there's layers to it, just like there's layers to consent. Um, understanding basics of enthusiastic yes is consent maybe is not consent, right? And that's something that I think as a society, we still have a lot to learn about in general. Um, as a whole, I think there's a lot more understanding of consent now than there ever has been, um, but we're working on it still. Mm -hmm. And but consent is and safety are so fundamental, but they're also the gateway. They're the gateway, like you said. Once that is there, and you you know you are safe, being like funny, being messing up, you're safe, making a fool of yourself, you're safe emoting. Yeah. And whatever that emotion is, something is funny in the moment, something makes you cry, something brings up anger, and your partner can be there with you and hold that with you, that is going to allow so much openness, experimentation, depth in an experience. I mean, sexually, absolutely, but across the board in a relationship, to me, that is really what intimacy is. Being able, first having it in yourself, can I even hold myself in those moments? And then can I do that with a partner? And while sometimes that road to learning it in yourself is through the partner, and that's okay too, um, and it's not always. Sometimes it's on our own. You know, I see as somebody who coaches both singles and couples and as somebody that's also a adult dating in the world, um, I find that uh, there are times where I can, it, I can hold myself through things and there are times where things don't come up until I'm with another 
And so that partnership can be really important to creating safety too, because that mirror is -hmm. necessary sometimes, or that experience of I'm not fully in control when there's another human in the, in the mix. And so I can really avoid some things and some experiences when it's just me, or when there's another person involved, that's what really, I mean, this applies to everything too, Joshua. Like I I've had experiences even in parenting where I'm utilizing some of the things that I've learned through erotic blueprint, through consent, safety, communication, everything with my kid. My son, he's eight. My son is kinky and he is innocent. There is nothing sexual about it, but the way he asks for affection is he wants to wrestle. He wants tickles. He wants to make rules about the tickles. We've, I've taught him about consent. He knows what boundaries are. He'll state his boundaries immediately. Mom, I want tickles and there's no feet and no armpits and no riblets. He'll tell me. (laughs) And then I'm like, okay, we can do tickles. And then he gets the tickles that he likes and he will resist it and try to hold my arms down. And he goes through all. And I'm like, okay, I understand. Like he's going to go through life naturally looking for experiences where he has to work for it, or there's resistance or there's rules or rules to break and there's taboos. And so knowing what I know about him, I can help guide that. Yeah. He's lucky to have, uh, a, and such an aware mom as you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Maybe someday he'll see that (laughs) at eight. He just appreciates the tickles. (laughs) You know, uh, having raised five kids myself, Mm. they're, they may or may not ever let you know that. And, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter because you'll know, you'll know what you've done and that's all the, and, and it's also the next seven generations that will benefit from that too. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's, uh, the more he knows about himself and also the responsibility of raising a young man is that he understands consent deeply. He understands safety. He understands, you know, emotional availability. And so I feel like that's something that we all as parents have responsibility to teach our children. So we've talked about a lot of stuff here today from yes, the uh, from the uh, the erotic blueprint and the spiral and the kind of techniques that you use. All of this utilizes what I'm calling super states, right? These are all different trance states. There's that trance state you get in sexual experiences in all these different ways that we're talking about, right? Absolutely. Even the tickling. There's yes. a trance that's that's being brought into that. You're you're using super states for uh, trance states to help people move through the spiral as well. Mm-hmm. What um, if someone's interested in utilizing some of these techniques? Uh, what what? How would you recommend they get started? Mm. Um. Wow, that's a good question. I think in general, if you're doing it on your own, um, I think it's important to start, I mean, at the very basics, you have to start understanding how to get into yourself and that might be through meditation. You know, I mean, I feel like Mm -hmm. it's, we hear it so much, but it's, it's true. (laughs) It's true. Even if we hear it all the time, it doesn't make it not true. Um, So I think it's really about learning to It's through being able to turn off the thinking mind that we can reach those states. 
And so whether that means you need to work with another person, if you need a coach, get a coach. If you are going to go to a breathwork course to start to experience that, do get a taste for what your body, what it feels like for you to be in that place where the thinking mind can be turned off. So for some people, that's a guided meditation. For some people, that's going to breath work. For some people, it's at the end of their CrossFit class. Yeah, You know, I think it's really just self-awareness um, and really allowing yourself to do it in a way that fits you and your preference and who you are. Because there's no right one right way for every single person. I'm a huge fan of breath work. Um, I've, I found, in fact, some of the best energetic orgasms I've experienced are during breathwork sessions. So big fan of that. It's great. Um, I think if you want to specifically where to get started in learning how to get into uh, an energetic orgasm or an energetic arousal state, if you are starting from scratch and you have no idea, definitely work with a coach because they can guide you very quickly through navigating and getting you on path to experience that. And then again, there's no guarantees you know, of what, what will happen. Um, but working with somebody who's educated and trained, I think is really going to be a helpful, um, starting place on a path for that. And then same with working through your programs. Like when we talked about the spiral, um, I know I'm biased cause I am a coach, but get a coach, <laughs> get a coach to help you work through these things. If you are starting with no awareness of how to begin yourself, then somebody who is trained and experienced to take, to be a guide on the path, they can't do it for you. Um, but certainly can guide you through that process. So working with somebody who has the experience and the education, I think is really beneficial so that you can create safety right? And we talked about safety being important in anything. It's the fundamental to be able to do healing, mm. right? To have a, a, a place of safety, whether that's created for yourself, by yourself, or whether it's um, held by a coach or a therapist or a person, um, you know, whatever their title is, that can help anchor in that safety for you so that you can let go and you can fully feel the trapped emotions. You can um, go through a process where you let your thinking mind go to the background and you are in a state where NLP can be really effective. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is one of your areas of expertise, right? Yeah. And you really, you really have an opportunity when there's an anchor of safety to go deeper than you do um, without it, period. Yeah. I, I find in my own client work that and this has helped me in every area of my life is learning to to hold that space so if this military guy is needs to cry, he can cry mm -hmm. and be, and feel right. com feel maybe not completely comfortable, but feel like it's okay. And he knows no that judgment. this is a space that's safe for that. And, and yeah. when, when my clients realize that it opens up, that doesn't mean that they have to cry, but they know that no matter what happens, no matter what's coming up, just like my wife. They know that no matter what, I'm going to be able to hold that for them and mm -hmm. be there with them. Yes, it's vital. And I think that is the difference between um, going to a buddy versus going to somebody who has training and experience. Yeah. Because a certification alone, I just have to say this, I, there, you can get certifications all over the place now. 
and not there are many of them that are absolutely valid. I don't mean to discredit. However, um, experience is <laughs> yeah. important. <laughs> I, I was just thinking how, so I got, you know, got my, did all my certifications and then I started seeing clients and that's when yeah. I actually started to learn things. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, I think too, like for example, so there's something that I call it setting a container. Mm -hmm. I know that's a very coachy terminology, but um, I recently led a men's retreat um, with a group of coaches. There's five of us. And we spent the entire first evening just setting the container for the group of attendees. And the feedback we got, um, two of them said that was the most important part and the most um, impactful part of the entire retreat. I was like, really? Like it really surprised me, but I actually understand. It was the first time they'd had an experience of um, it being really clear what is safe here, wh what people will or will not do. Everyone's in agreement. This is what consent is. This is how we're going to show consent. And we went through, you know, a whole process of setting the container. So everybody in the room had clarity mm -hmm. and knew what was going to happen, what was going to be allowed, what um, is not okay to do here. And every, it allowed all of them to take a deep breath and, and really show up fully because they knew where the boundaries were. They knew that this is the playground. This is the fence. Because that fence is there, you can play all the way to the fence and you're still safe. Yeah. You don't have to stay in the center of the playground because you're not sure where you're going to fall off the edge. And so it really is important, whether it's a container or a conversation that's happening one-on-one -on -one with one individual or whether you're in a group setting, it's it can be the secret sauce to creating that sense of safety. Amanda, what's, what's so you, you kind of live in this altered state place. What makes you excited about the future for personal development and, and altered states? Oh, wow, that's a great question. I think that it's more available now than it ever has been. And so it's through work, like what you're doing here right now. Um, we're talking about it. It's becoming accessible to more people. Um, you can you can hire somebody to help you now, where even five years ago, that was a lot harder to find. Mm. And so it's there's studies around it. There's doctors, um, PhDs that are on podcasts that are actually talking about it and studying it and giving us um, information to support it. And so I think the mainstreaming of um, this work is, it's thrilling to me. I want this for every, I want this for everyone. I want everyone to be able to experience, um, I mean, so I have something that I do that's really important to me and it's called my pleasure practice. And a lot of people call it a self-care practice, but for me, mine includes a lot of orgasms because you got to practice what you preach, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and the idea of, of what my life was like before that was part of my life, or when I have a new friend that discovers that that's something that's just an absolute, it's a non-negotiable part of my day, they're like, you do what? And it's not always, you know, self-pleasure, it's not always masturbation, but it is something that is going to put me in some kind of altered state and usually include some kind of arousal to change the chemical and chemicals in my body to change my mental state, to shift me into deep breath. I want that for everybody and it won't look like mine and that's okay. But if everybody in this, on this planet 
was in a place where they allowed themselves and they also had the freedom to do that, we would have a different planet. Yeah. We would have a different world. So I'm really excited for the fact that we're on track for that at some level, right? It may not be perfect. It's not for every human yet, but we're, we're so much more ahead um, on that path than we were even a few years ago. Love it. And if somebody wants to learn more about you, Amanda, what are the best ways to do that? The best ways to do that are to either go to my website, which is amandamonk.net, or you can find me on Instagram, which my handle on Instagram is with the lights on. Or you can email me, amanda at amandamonk.net. Great. I will make sure that all of these links are in the show notes along with the uh, the, the test, the quiz. Yes. Well. Let's get the quiz out there. Yeah. Awesome. And Amanda, this has what, been such a what's the one insight that you want listeners to leave with today? Ooh. <sighs> that if you are in a place where you do not experience pleasure, either as a solo person or as a couple, that it's available to you, that it's always available to you. You can, you can get there. doesn't matter what limitation you have, if it's physical, mental, emotional, pleasure is available to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Amanda. It's been really a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. I've loved it.